0: thank you team for leading us in those songs of praise what a great morning I absolutely love getting up this morning and coming to church in bright sunshine (laughs) although I could have used an extra hour another opportunity for the rock community church to gather sing songs of praise pray together study God's Word together on top of that we get to enjoy some good soup and bun following the service and hopefully some great interactions with each other thank you for coming this morning thank you for setting your clock ahead so that you could be here but if you're not here we all lose and I really believe that and so I want to thank you for coming this morning It is the second Sunday of the month, so in keeping with our Rock Community Church tradition, we are preparing to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. And so as we come, I'm going to invite you to, I want to invite us to continue preparing by turning to that very um, well-known passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians. Let's turn there in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's here where we find the instructions from the Apostle Paul and how we are to conduct ourselves or how we are to participate in the Lord's Supper. Beginning at verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Allow me to read these for us. Please remain seated for this reading from God's word. Beginning at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But we judge our, But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Did you catch that little phrase? In the middle of verse 27. In an unworthy manner. You may want to underline or highlight that little phrase. Clearly it is possible for us to come to the Lord's Supper and participate in an unworthy manner. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner... Shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? To be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. It means to be guilty of treating this ordinance with contempt, with disrespect. when we approach the Lord's Supper flippantly or thoughtlessly, it's just something that we do on the second Tuesday of, or second second Sunday of every month here at the Rock Community Church. Ho-hum, yawn, no big deal. Beloved, that kind of approach is disrespectful. Disrespectful. We're treating the Lord's Supper with contempt. And in those scenarios, we are participating in an unworthy manner. And notice the Apostle Paul goes on to suggest that this is the very reason why some of these people are weak and sick. And believe it or not, he even says that some have died. As a result of approaching this table in an unworthy manner. Beloved, as we come this morning, we do not want to invite God's judgment on our lives. We don't want to do that. So one of the ways we are attempting to heed Paul's warning here at the Rock Community Church is to design our Lord's Supper Sundays around the Lord's Supper. This is the centerpiece of our worship on the second Sunday of every month. Not something that we tack on to the end of a regular worship service. An addendum. We want to be intentionally inviting participants to prepare their hearts and minds to participate in a worthy manner. And for the last several months, as we've come to the table, we've been using Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me, to prepare us to participate at the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul, according to Chapter 1, verse 7, was writing to those who are beloved of God in Rome called saints. In Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3, he focused on the pervasiveness of sin. Sin has infected and contaminated all of us. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 could be a summary statement of what Paul is talking about in those first three chapters. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In chapters 4 and 5, Paul deals with salvation. In chapters 6 through 8, he's dealing with sanctification, the working out. Of our salvation and then in chapters 9 through 11 he talks about the sovereignty of God in chapters 12 to 16 in keeping with the S's he talks about the service or the practical application of what he's been talking about in the first 11 chapters How those truths are to impact our lives. It's the answer to the so what question. I think that's a helpful outline of the book of Romans to keep in mind. Five S's. Sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. So in Romans chapter 5, he's right at the end of the salvation section. And it begins with these words. Notice Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What a way to start a chapter. The entire chapter is about justification. In verses 1 through 5, we find the benefits of justification. In verses 6 through 11, we discovered the agent of justification. Notice verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God... Or in other words, brought into a relationship with God through the death of his son. The agent of our, self, of our justification it's Christ. Verses 12 through 17, the last time we met at the table of the Lord where we looked at Romans chapter 5, provided the explanation of our justification. And this morning we want to focus on verses 18 to 21, and we cross the finish line, completing Romans chapter 5. Here we have the the very essence of justification. Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology text, offers this definition for justification. He defines justification as an instantaneous legal act of God in which he One, first of all, thinks of our sins as forgiven, past, present, and future, and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and two, declares us to be righteous in his sight. Now there's some good news. An instantaneous legal act of God in which He, first of all, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and secondly, declares us to be righteous in His sight. He looks at us and He sees us as righteous people. Isn't that amazing? That's good news. Here at the end of Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul offers three summary statements to present the essence of our justification by faith. These three statements, as you can see printed on the sermon note, Bulletin insert that you received before entering the worship center this morning Present two acts Two actors Two aides Leading to one alternative Please stand with me if you're able For the reading from God's word We're going to focus on verses 18 to 21, but allow me to begin reading at verse 12 to just set the larger context. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to the many the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification for by the transgression of one death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ now here's where He begins to summarize all that he said in the chapter to this point. So then, as though one transgression were result, resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as though the one man's, for as through the one man's disobedience, The many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abound all the more, superabounded, so that as sin reigned in death, Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. (coughs) Father, in the words of the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy merciful and mighty. Only thou art holy. There is none beside thee. We admit that among us there is none righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the standard of perfection that you require for a relationship with you. And yet here we sit. Knowing that you have withheld what we rightly deserve. And instead, you have blessed us with things that we do not deserve. Blessings that we could never earn. The promise of your forgiveness is the ultimate expression of mercy and grace. Thank you for Jesus who endured the cross despised its shame died was buried but rose from the dead proving that his death did what we could never do now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God and because of his accomplishment we've been given the opportunity to be justified by faith teach us we pray and prepare us to participate in this time of remembrance at the Lord's Supper may this be a significant encounter with the living and active word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of justification by faith includes two acts, two actors, two aids, leading to one alternative. The two acts are identified in verse 18. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Do you see the two acts? They're obvious, aren't they? One transgression, one act of righteousness. I've titled one, the first act as one condemning act of transgression. Look at the first part of verse 18 again. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation To all men. The Greek word translated transgression in my Bible is defined by one lexicon as what a person has done in transgressing the will and law of God by some false step or failure. It's like stepping out of bounds if you're a basketball player, or going hunting on posted land. You know, land that has no trespassing signs on it. Or perhaps it's like going 120 miles per hour in a zone that is clearly posted 100 miles per hour. We may get away with it, but it's still a transgression according to the posted speed limit. Other English translations use different words. Mine uses... Transgression, others use offense or trespass or sin. Even within this chapter, the Apostle Paul uses different Greek words to explain or refer or point to the very same act. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, it's not transgression or trespass, Sin entered into the world. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Because all sinned. And then drop down to verse 14. You see. In the likeness of the offense. Of Adam. Notice how often. The word transgression. Is found in verse. In, in verse 18. Or the word in my, what, what's it translated in your Bible? Mine says transgression. But whatever that word is, look back through verses 15 to 17 and how often it's referred to. Transgression in my Bible is once in verse 15, twice in verse 16, and then once again in verse 17. All references pointing back to what was referred to in verse 14 as the offense of Adam Genesis chapter 3 right at the very beginning often referred to as the fall in Genesis chapter 2 let's turn there Genesis chapter 2 notice verse 16 The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Then flip over to Genesis chapter 6. Sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. After negotiating with the serpent, the woman took and ate from the tree of which they were forbidden. And notice the first passage we read, first verses, you shall not eat. And in chapter 3, verse 6, and he ate. That, my beloved, is what a transgression looks like. Told not to eat, and he ate it. And as a result of that one willful, conscious, disobedient act, sin entered the world. Go back to Romans chapter 5. We've read it before. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. Every funeral, every obituary you read should remind you of Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Life on this planet would never be the same again. All of Adam and Eve's descendants would now be born with a sin nature. Theologically speaking, it's referred to as the depravity of man. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 26, verse 36, speaks of us as having hearts of stone. We're born with our backs toward God, his enemies, because of this one initial act of transgression. And as a result... Condemnation has come on all of us. We've all been found guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the story of justification by faith includes Two acts, not just one. The first one, is it one condemning act of transgression? The second, one justifying act of righteousness. Notice the second half of verse 18. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. The one act of righteousness refers to the death of Jesus Christ. Remember how he struggled? How he struggled in prayer while in the garden? Only to concede with these words My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will. But as you will it was a horrible death death by crucifixion and only after he had been physically verbally emotionally psychologically abused at the hands of both religious and political leaders of the day But already early in his life, Jesus had made a public commitment. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 6, verse 38. A commitment to obedience. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work John chapter 5 verse 30 I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me do you hear the obedience the commitment to being obedient to the father and finally in his high pri- priestly prayer recorded in John chapter 17 where Jesus begins by praying for himself and then for his immediate disciples And then he even prays for you and I, for those who would believe as a result of the testimony of these disciples that were present with them. Prayed for us. Listen how he prays for himself. Verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. No wonder he could come to the very end and in his dying breath cry out, it is finished. And with that, he fulfilled the one act of righteousness for your benefit and for mine. Adam crossed the line. Jesus hung and died on the cross. Two contrasting acts. A transgression and an act of righteousness. Delivering two very different outcomes. On the one hand we have condemnation. Guilty as charged. On the other, justified declared righteous before God and the story of justification by faith also includes two actors verse 19 for as though the one man's for as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners even so Through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. The spotlight now shifts in this verse to individuals involved in the story of justification. You might want to underline these phrases. First of all, the man, the one man's disobedience. That's the first actor. One disobedient man. And that would be Adam. We know that from the previous explanation that Paul gives in verses 12 through 17. He's named in verse 14. Death reigned from Adam until Moses. Even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. The Apostle Paul uses a sim- similar comparison in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. The disobedient man was Adam. For the second actor, you can underline the phrase, the obedience of the one. Two actors. One disobedient man plus one, and I would capitalize the M, man. And that man, of course, was Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter (laughs) 2. Philippians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 6. Well, verse 5 really identifies who we're talking about. Have this attitude in yourselves which was even death on a cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. One disobedient man and one obedient man equals two actors. One commentary wrote the following The obedience of Christ is a reference to his death as an ultimate act of obedience rather than to his life of obedience, since it was his death that saves us. And notice the very different outcomes delivered by these two actors according to this verse. On the one hand, notice, many were made sinners. On the other, many will be made righteous. And how in the world does that happen? Listen carefully to Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He, that is God, made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become righteous. The righteousness of God in him. I like to refer to that verse in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as the great exchange. My sin for his righteousness. It's kind of like he can add it to those lists of greats. We have the great confession. In Matthew chapter 16 verse 16 where Peter you'll remember said you are the Christ the son of the living God. The great commandment in Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 to 40 and then the great commission in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20. Look at verse 13 for just a moment in Romans chapter 5 I'm not sure how yours reads mine reads my translation reads for until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law imputed are you familiar with that word is that a word that you've heard before I have a pocket dictionary of theological terms that provides the following definition for imputation. It's a transfer of benefit or harm from one individual to another. It's important for us to realize that there are only three imputations mentioned in all of Scripture. There's three. Adam's sin was imputed to all humanity. We all became sinners. All humanity's sin was imputed to Jesus Christ. That's why he died on the cross. The wages of sin is death. And he paid the price for that sin. And thirdly, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us When we come to God. Acknowledging. Our depravity. Repenting of our sin. We want nothing to do with it anymore. Asking for his forgiveness. On the basis of Christ's sacrifice. Nothing that you or I could do. And then by faith. Trusting Jesus Christ. Alone for our salvation. And when we do that. How does God respond? His response to our act of faith is declaring us justified, righteous, clothed in Christ's righteousness. The story of justification by faith includes two acts, two actors, and two aids. I really wanted to call these two gifts, but then I lose my A's, right? was on a run, and so I thought I'd stick, I had to come up with something. I, I spoke to our son, one of our sons, and, and uh, he suggested actions, but I thought that's too close to the first point, and then I thought of advantages, but eventually I settled on aids. So we have two aids here in verses 20 to 21. The first aid is one sin-exposing law. Notice verse 20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. For the longest time in my Christian life, I looked at the the law of God as a burden imposed on us by our Heavenly Father. Just some kind of impossible standard of perfection that we could never meet up to. An impossible standard that I was, I was just left hoping that in the end of my life, somehow I will have done enough good things to outweigh the bad things that I did, and I'd sneak in by the skin of my teeth. In those days, I would read the Old Testament and think, or, or hear stories from the Old Testament and think, boy, am I glad that I've been born on this side of the cross. Living on the other side of the cross, it just seemed like it would be a terrible struggle. But eventually I came to appreciate and understand the benefit of the law. It's a gift. It gives us a tremendous advantage. It is an aid. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24, Therefore the law... Has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith you see the law becomes like a mirror reflecting who we truly are it exposes us for who we really are at our very best we're imposters who can appear righteous on the outside, but on the inside, we are dead men and women walking, spiritually dead, separated from God. Jesus referred to these kinds of people as whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean, Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. The law came in so that the trans- transgression in our lives would be exposed. But the second aid is one life-giving grace. Notice how the end of, second half of verse 20 and verse 21 reads, "But where sin increased, grace, Superabounded is what the Greek word means. Abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The hymn expresses it so well. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within, Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. That's what this verse is saying. The law exposed sin, and where sin increased, grace even more so. Verse 1, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Verse 3. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? The sin exposed by the law reigns in death. The grace delivered by Jesus reigns in righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that leads us to one alternative Have you been justified? question only you can answer. At this time, I would like the men who are serving the elements this morning to join me at the front. I'm going to ask them to pass out a little track, a little pamphlet that I'd like everyone in the auditorium to have. Guys, if you can make sure everyone gets one of these. I got some more here, guys. i going to keep one. Everyone got one? We're just going to take a minute and read through it. It's quick, short. Okay, the guys can come and sit at the front pew. We'll just read through this, and then we'll pray and get ready to participate at the table of the Lord. So page one, the Bible teaches that God loves all men and wants them to know him. But man is separated from God and his love. That's what sin does, separates us. God is on one side and all the people on the other side, 1 Timothy 2.5. Why is man separated from God and his love? Next page, because he has sinned against God. Your sins have cut you off from God, Isaiah 59, verse 2. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Where does this separation lead? The separation leads only to death and certain judgment. Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die once, after that to face judgment those who do not know God will will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 but there is a solution Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins is the way to God God is on one side and all the people on the other side and Christ Jesus himself man is between them to bring them together by giving his life for all mankind 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 Christ died for sins once for all to bring you to God 1 Peter 3:18 Does this include everyone? Yes, but only those who personally receive Jesus Christ into their lives, trusting him to forgive their sins, can cross this bridge. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12. Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice. And opens the door I will go in and eat with him and he with me how does a person receive Jesus Christ everyone must decide individually whether to receive Christ Jesus said you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it John 14 14 therefore if you pray sincerely asking him this Lord Jesus, please come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. Please forgive my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. He will do it now. If you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, the Bible says you now have eternal life. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 John 5, verse 11 and 12. Two acts, two actors, two aids, all leading to one alternative. Have you been justified? God wants to justify you. And as we come to Him and pray a simple prayer like this, His response is to justify us. If you've done that, then come to the table. Come to the Lord's Supper this morning, celebrating your justification. Let's pray father in the words of the psalmist O oh lord you've examined our hearts and know everything about us you know when we sit down or stand up you know our thoughts even when we are far away you see us when we travel and when we rest at home you know everything we do you know what we are going to say even before we say it lord You go before us and follow us. You place your hand of blessing on our heads. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. Too great for us to understand. And yet it's all true. You know us better than we know ourselves. Father, help us to respond appropriately, To your demonstration of love toward us even now as we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us father thank you for this opportunity to reflect and remember The bread represents the body of Christ. It reminds us of the incarnation. The fact that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was God dressed in human flesh. Fully man and fully God. It is the only way provided where we can restore our broken relationship toward you. Thank you, Jesus. The cup represents his blood. Not just blood, but his very life blood. was shed for us. The Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. Jesus died so that we might live. Both now and forever. Having been justified by faith trusting Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Father, enable us all to participate in a worthy manner. We've come and prayed. In Jesus' name, amen.